You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Well, a big happy Halloween and uh, welcome to chilly weather. It's not even going to get up to 50 today. It's just, uh, it's pretty. It's just a little chilly. But we're not talking about Halloween, and right now we're really not talking about Alabama LSU, which I thought that would be the focus of our Tuesday show. But actually, we're going to go to Clemson, South Carolina. Last night, Dabo Sweeney on his coach's call-in show, Tiger Calls, got a little ringy-dingy from a guy named Tyler. Yeah, uh, Tyler from Spartanburg um, basically asked, uh, asked Dabo Sweeney, uh, about his $115 million contract that pays him more than $11 million, uh, annually through 2031. And given the fact that, uh, Clemson is off to a four and four start and has a two and four conference record, which is good for 10th in the ACC, Tyler wanted, um, some answers. And uh, instead of uh, cherry-picking different parts of Dabo's uh, five-minute response, which really is the talk of the college football world today, um, I think we should play the entirety of the five minutes, and then let's uh, dig into it after that. So here is Dabo Sweeney last night on his weekly call-in show, Tiger Calls, responding to Tyler from Spartanburg. Paying you $11.5 million to go four and four. And it's not just this year. It's been, it's been, you know, just the refusal to accept. All right, all right. What's the name? Tyler. Hey, Tyler, I've listened to enough of you. Tyler, listen, uh, you can, you can have all your opinions that you want. All right. I don't know how old you are. Don't really care. All right. But let me tell you something. Um, We won 11 games last year, and you're part of the problem. To be honest with you, because that is part of the problem. It's people like you that do that. All you do is the, the appreciation, the expectation is greater than the appreciation, and that's the problem. And so, you know, we've won 12 10 plus win year, seasons in a row. That's happened three times in 150 years. So, if you want to know why, Clemson ain't sniffed a national championship for 35 years. We've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that, Georgia and Alabama, okay? Is this a bad year? Is this a – yeah, and it's my responsibility. Take 100% responsibility for it. But all this bull crap you're thinking, all these narratives you read, listen, man, you can have your opinion all you want, and you can apply for the job, and good luck to you, all right? But to answer your question, all right, we're second in draft picks. We've graduated 98% of our guys. We're second in wins. All right, we we if you you want to know why again I'm telling you we're not perfect. There's a lot of teams that you know Frank Howard never had a bad year, Coach Ford never had a bad year, nobody Coach K has never had a bad year in basketball. People have a bad year, but the part of the problem is the appreciation. I used to tell people all the time and say, "What's the difference in Clemson?" Let me tell you, at Clemson, at some places there's an expectation, but at Clemson there's an appreciation. And what's happened at Clemson is is we've won so much that even when we – it used to be the funds and the winning. Now even when you win, people like you complain and criticize the coaches and question everything. You, you, people like you 
All right, when I hired Tony Elliott to be the offensive coordinator who never called a play in his life, I'm sure you were critical then. All right, and he took us to two national championships. People like you who just love to, to destroy people with your comments, all right, I'm sure you've never made any bad decisions. I'm sure you've lived a perfect life. I'm sure you've never, I'm sure you've led a bunch of people. I'm sure you do your job in front. So to answer your question, I started as the lowest paid coach in this freaking business, all right? And I'm where I am because I've worked my ass off every single day. And I ain't going to let some smart-ass kid get on this phone and create this stuff. So if you got a problem with it, I don't care, all right? I work for, for the Board of Trustees, the President, and the AD. And if they're tired of me leading this program, all they got to do is let me know. I'll go somewhere else where there is an appreciation. All right? It's not just winning. It's how you win. And we are in a – this is a tough year. But we've had 12, 12 10-plus win seasons in a row. 12. We lost to Tennessee last year. They won 11 games for the first time in like 20 years. We've had 8, 11 win seasons in, in whatever, 11 years or whatever. We've won two national championships. Clemson went 35 years. All right, probably since before you were born, your whole freaking life. And we've won two in seven years. And we earned it. And we beat the best of the best to do it. The best of the best. 12, 10 plus win things. So if you want to know why, that's why. Am I perfect? Nope. I'm far from it. I am a, and I am a man of faith. Absolutely. All right. I'm 53 years old, and there ain't one thing in my life. I, now I have I have been a part of failure many times, but there ain't one thing in my life that I've ever failed at, Tyler. Never. All right, ever. I wanted to get an education. I got two degrees. I wanted to be the first college in my graduate with my family. I did it. I wanted to go play football in Alabama. I earned a scholarship. Letter three years. Worked my ass off. Won a national championship. I wanted to get into coaching. I worked my way to being a head coach. And when I got this job, and I'm sure you didn't want me to get this job, all right, and 15 years later I'm still here, and I'd say the results are what they are, and I stand on them. So you don't ever have to call back. I, I, I wanted to get married. I've been married for going on 30 years. I wanted to be a father. I've raised three great sons. If you don't like how I run the program, don't be a fan. I don't care. But I'm the head coach, and I'm going to do what I believe is right for the long term of this program, what's best for the players, and what I think is best for the moment. If you got a problem with that, that's fine. But you're not, I'm not going to sit, you, sit here and let you call. I don't give a crap how much money I make. You ain't going to talk to me like I'm, like I'm 12 years old. You'd be freaking kidding me. Way to go, Dabo. <laughs> Man, Tyler Tyler picked the wrong guy on the wrong night to go after Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. But he sounds like the kind of guy that's probably laughing about it and didn't care to begin with. But uh, I don't disagree with a lot. I mean, you can't disagree with what Tyler's saying, uh, what uh, Dabo is saying. And the one thing that rings truer and truer is... This quote, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. That's not just true at Clemson, Lars. That's true at all major programs that have a history of winning, especially over the last 10 to 15 years where uh, coaches 
and players and coordinators can just get lambasted on social media. Unfortunately, Lars, that's the way we are right now. You, you can attack a head coach. That guy at least called on the phone, told him who he was, where he's from. But um, that quote, the expectation is greater than the appreciation, really, that came home to me. Super. Yeah. Yes, and uh, both you and I have a great appreciation for Dabo Sweeney. I mean, I, I appreciate him so much that I wrote a book on the guy. And uh, I, uh, w- when you write a book, you essentially spend about eighteen months living inside another person's he- another person's head. And that's why I choose to write books about people that I have admiration for. And if you uh, go back and which uh, and, and you were of great uh, help uh, with to me on on this uh, project, you know we went back and examined in great detail Dabo's background, all of the challenges that he has overcome, uh, and it, 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 he's a remarkable man, a remarkable man. And when he said, "I've never failed at anything in my life." You know what? 99% of the people, I would call them out and say, you got to be kidding me. But with Dabo, he's absolutely correct. He hasn't. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's been, you know, little failures here and there, like like all of us. But uh, when it comes to big picture things, he absolutely is a, a, a winner. And... Um, and you know, Dabo's getting lambasted across the country today because they think that he just, he lost his cool with this caller. And, you know, he, he, he's frustrated. It's, it's a frustrating season. But I think you just, uh, you absolutely picked out the most important thing. And that is that, uh, the expectation is much higher than the appreciation. But there are some, there are some issues with this with the Clemson program, and and now will Dabo be like a Bear Bryant? Will he be like a Nick Saban, uh, who have had to adapt? Uh, will he be like a uh, uh, John McKay? Right, he won four national championships spread across thirteen seasons, um, and he had to had to change things. and And Bear Bryant, obviously, he had to change things uh, um, uh, from uh, you know going to the, the the wishbone and 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 then and Nick Saban, as we know, he had to change things. So um, there's a, there's a kind of a lot to get into. Like, is Dabo Sweeney willing to make Make the necessary changes to flourish in this new age of college football, um, and, and we'll wait. It remains to be seen. I think he will. He's going to have to embrace things that he doesn't necessarily want to embrace, but he'll need to do it for the sake of reviving his program. And and certainly, you know, look, he, he missed on a couple quarterbacks, uh, and and that is really as what what has hurt. Uh, hurt Clemson more than anything else but um, I'm, I'm just glad we we're able to play the whole thing so our listeners can understand kind of where Dabo was coming from because you know what he's Dabo's an Alabama guy and I think he is uh, the people who care about him the most aside from the diehard Clemson fans are the diehard Alabama fans Matt 
Yeah, he is disliked by others as well, but obviously he's not the most popular guy in South Carolina, much less Clemson. We'll get back to this, get the reaction of Bama 24-7's Mike Rodak. It's LSU week, by the way. We'll talk about that. Coming up on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Court. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny, cool, and breezy this afternoon, the high 57. Tonight, a freeze warning in effect. The sky clear, the low 31. And for tomorrow and Thursday, sunny both days, the high tomorrow 53. Warmer Thursday, the high 61. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 55 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Many of our Alabama football-related segments are being brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. She'll be with us Friday from noon until 2 as we broadcast live throughout the season at NS Free, the Friday place to be. Joining us now is from Bama 24-7 is Mike Rodak. Mike, welcome. What are you going to be for Halloween? Oh, man, I forget the name of the character. It's from the movie uh, Frozen, and so... My son, or both of my sons have characters. My wife has arranged all this. I'm just along for the ride. So I wish I remember the name, but I'm dressed up as something from the movie Frozen. Well, uh, my son-in-law showed much courage uh, going to a party this past weekend. He dressed up like Ken, and my daughter dressed up like Barbie. And if you've seen the the Ken outfits, they're, uh, well, they're... they're, um, not the most flattering in certain ways. Anyway, I'm burying the lead, Mike. I'm sure you've heard, and I would like to know your reaction to Dabo Sweeney's uh, little chat with Tyler from Spartanburg last night. Tyler, um, that was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I listened to the full audio after I'd seen some of the, um, you know, the tweets about it last night, and. You know, I think there's some people who say once you hear the whole thing, you hear the caller kind of go on to rant that it makes Dabo look 
you know, better, uh, makes the caller look worse. Like, I, I don't know. To me, it's like, even if what Dabo, what some of what Dabo said was true, I don't know if he necessarily needs to say it. And here's the thing, like the theme of Dabo's answer was pretty similar to what, remember Nick Saban's rant two years ago about self-absorbed fans and uh, not being grateful and, you know, the team works hard and nobody likes, nobody hates to lose more than they do. And he went on, whatever it was, a three-minute rant on his radio show. The big difference, even though the theme was the same, the big difference is that Nick Saban didn't really make it personal with the caller and kind of made it vague and broad. Um, and necessarily, like, it wasn't, it, it, I mean, it was obviously sending a message, but it wasn't necessarily attacking anybody. And I think that's kind of where Dabo went wrong here is, you know, I, I think his message had some validity to it. But if you start going after the caller for being young and, um, you know, I don't care what you think and blah, 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 like, I, I think you make it too personal. And I, I don't know if that comes off the right way. And he's come out today, even Dabo has, and, you know, stood by what he said. And, um, you know, there's probably some stubbornness there. You can, I'm sure he's under a lot of pressure. But, again, I think you can make the point without getting uh, personal or, or, you know, making it too uh, vicious. Uh, Mike, I I know we, we're going to get to Alabama LSU here in, in a second, but I want to stick with Clemson and Dabo um, just for one more question. Um, do you think this season is uh, is an outlier for Clemson? Four and four overall, two and four in in the conference in the ACC. Or are there some deep-seated problems here, with mainly with Dabo uh, in his uh, his unwillingness to be a real active participant in the transfer portal? Uh, I believe they only brought in one player this year, and that was uh, Paul Tyson, former uh, uh, quarterback at Alabama, Bear Bryant's great-great-grandson. Uh, he's a third stringer for, for Clemson. Um, and also just, you know, Dabo, he was been, he was so, uh, vociferous early on about not paying college players and saying, Hey, uh, I'm going to get out of the game if uh, we're starting to pay these guys. And now essentially they are getting paid. Um, is there just a, a, a lack of, uh, of uh gosh a malleability of of, of of his willingness to change and and uh and because we, we were just talking about how bear bryant he had to change and adapt nick saban he had to change and adapt and now the question is will Dabo sweeney change and adapt right yeah that's he's kind of the main um case study of of not doing everything that a lot of people are doing uh these days so and that case study so far has proven, you know, not to work. And it, and I think that's also where Dabo went wrong, too, is that he made it just about this season. It made it seem like this was very one-off. You know, he kept bringing up how they had 12 10-win seasons before that. And, you know, they had the two championships in seven years. And that's the kind of stuff you, you hear coaches say as, as things start to flip. And I, I don't think anybody, you know, woke up in September of 2023 and said Clemson all of a sudden was, um, you know, on the way out. I think it's been something that we've seen for the past two or three years. So it's it's an erosion that slowly happens. And, um, you know, I think people, especially guys who have had a lot of success, coaches who have been at the top of the mountain sometimes are um, yeah, unwilling to accept that fact or a little bit, 
um, the right word is, you know, naive to kind of what's happening around them. And I feel like that's somewhat where Dabo is. And I think the better message for him to send was, you know, we need to turn things around. We need to make changes. We need to do things differently. Um, you know, yeah, I agree. I think at NAL wise, that's not the top destination for anybody. And, um, you know, if you're not bringing anybody into the portal, that means you're just simply recruiting guys out of high school on the, you know, the hope that they will go there because they love the culture or they love the school, et cetera. And I don't know if you're going to get another Deshaun Watson or DeAndre Hopkins or Sammy Watkins or, you know, some of the great players at CJ Spiller. Like, I don't know if you're going to get those great players these days simply trying to do it that way. Speaking of transfer portal, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, activity, social media mainly, uh, on Ty Simpson uh, and even going to Tennessee, which is where he's from. What do you hear? You know, I, I haven't heard anything specific on that, but, you know, it's, um, what is it, four weeks away now? December 3rd or 4th is when the portal opens. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see him a little bit against Chattanooga in, in three weeks here, two and a half weeks. And that will really be, you know, the last time. Uh, so that's somewhat of an audition. And, you know, I, it, just from a pure logical standpoint, I don't think too many people are expecting Ty Simpson to be back here next year. Um, because, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's run the string out. You know, this, he's, he's tried to get on the field and, you know, he got beat by Jalen Milrow twice, essentially this year. And, um, obviously that's not going to be changing, you know, for the rest of this year. So that's just where it is. And, you know, I would Tennessee take him as a potential starter. I think that would be a stretch. I think, um, you know, he's probably better off maybe dropping down to a group of five school and, and, you know, knowing that you're at least going to start. Um, otherwise, you know, you could be in a Tyler Buckner situation where you're going from one really good school to another really good school and you're not really playing it either. So that's the decision he's going to have to make. And, you know, if they have five scholarship quarterbacks right now, there's only one of them I would feel really strongly about him still being here next year. And that's Dylan Lonergan, the freshman. Uh, the other freshman, Eli Holstein, I think could leave. I think Tyler Buckner certainly could leave. I think Ty Simpson could leave. And then we'll just have to see what happens with Milrow. Um, I think, you know, the odds are he's, he's still here next year, but um, when you have Lonergan coming along and you have Julian Fain coming in next year and maybe they look at the portal for somebody else, then, um, you know, the, the numbers start to get tight. So, uh, you know, as soon as the portal opens, December 4th, I think we're going to see uh, a couple quarterbacks leave right away. And Ty Simpson could certainly be one of those. Mike, uh, let's shift our focus to LSU. And um, what do you think the plan of attack is uh, on the offensive side of the ball for Alabama uh, going against this LSU defense? Is it just going to be kind of – are we going to see essentially what uh, we saw in the second half of the Tennessee game? Or there, will there be uh, – are you anticipating, you know, uh, any new wrinkles? Um, you know, I think the A&M game might be the best parallel. And, you know, I still – usually the Thursday night radio show, you get some good insight on what Saban thinks a particular defense does well. So we'll have to hear what he says on Thursday night about LSU's defense. But I think, you know, the book on them right now is that their back end is, is pretty rough and, uh, you know, some injuries there. And, um, you know, I don't know how much you're going to be able to run against them as much as be able to pass. And that was kind of the story with A&M. Uh, was, you know, they, Alabama didn't even try to run all that much in that game and, you know, took their deep shots and um, converted those. And that was the difference in that game. And I think you're going to have potentially some breakdowns in coverage, which, hey, I mean, Arkansas broke down in coverage against you too. I mean, 
Um, they, Alabama's capitalized on some of those big plays when they needed to, and I think this could be another game where, you know, Isaiah Bond, Burton, you know, some of those guys down the field are able to hit some big plays. That makes a huge difference. Mike, I know you got players at one. Can you hang on and just uh, talk to us for a few minutes more after this commercial break? Definitely, yeah. All right, thanks. Mike Rodak. Costume to be determined from Frozen. I would look it up, but I'd rather talk about LSU. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Take on LSU at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Our coverage begins at 3.30 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. Tide Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. <laughs> All right, how about the Adams family? It's Halloween. Justin Jones is providing part of our entertainment. Thank you. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but late at night I watch Nickelodeons and that kind of stuff, and the old black and white Adams families are just hysterical and to the point of bizarre. I think the writers were, uh, were doing something. Anyway, enough of that. That's Halloween. We'll recognize and move forward. You touched on this earlier, Mike Rodak our guest from Bama 24-7. What are just a couple of things that Alabama absolutely must do to beat LSU? Uh, You know, I think it's, it's, you know, keys to the game are always similar, I think, for this team especially. But, you know, I think turnovers are the big thing. And that was the huge difference, I think, in that game against Tennessee was you turned the ball over twice. Um, You know, the the Milrow strip sack and then the Milrow interception in the end zone, and that's a big reason why they're losing by 13 points. And then you didn't turn the ball over in the second half, and that's a big reason why they kind of ran away with the game at the end. So, um, you know, that's still something that, you know, there's still times here and there where Milrow's going to give the ball away. 
I think he's gotten better with some of those interceptions. Um, you know, the one against Tennessee wasn't really totally his fault. It was a tip ball that got caught. Um, and fumbles haven't really been an issue. So that's, you know, that's something I think they can win and control with. But, um, you know, it's still, it's going to be able to, it's the ability to stop their offense. And, you know, I, I go back to Nick Saban's, you know, quote to Chris Lowe from ESPN three years ago. And I don't say he declared defense is dead in college football, but he said that good defense doesn't beat good offense anymore. And that's just the way it is in college football. That was only three years ago. I don't know if that's changed. I don't think it's changed. So this is a classic case of you have a number one offense coming in against the top 15 defense in Alabama. And, um, you know, Alabama's offense isn't particularly great and LSU's defense certainly isn't great. So it's, it's can a good defense or a very good defense beat a very good offense. And that's really what this game I think is going to come down to. So, um, you know, that's, we saw the Texas game, you know, this defense has some, some issues. You know, we saw the old miss game against a really good offense. They, they held that to 10 points. So, um, this is the best offense they'll see, you know, probably all season. And if, if they can hold LSU to under 30, um, then I would feel decently good about Milrow and this passing offense, being able to make some big plays and get Alabama above 30. Our guest is Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. How good is Jaden Daniels? Is he a Heisman Trophy candidate or winner? Oh, certainly, yeah. He's in the top two or three right now. Um, you know, it's kind of bounced around. I think we talked about it last week with Penix. Um, you know, being certainly probably the leading guy for a while. Washington's slid a little bit the last couple of weeks. They've had some closer calls. They're not quite as dominant offensively. Um, you know, how much that hurts Penix. I don't think it hurts him a ton. He's still in the top three. J.J. McCarthy. Um, but, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of Heisman voters that are going to turn away from Michigan, and that's their right to do so. Um, and then, you know, Daniels, I think, is, is the other one right now near the top. So this is obviously a big game for that. Um, you all remember 2019 with Tua and Joe Burrow, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, the winner of that game is the Heisman favorite, and that certainly was the case coming out of that game and you know burrow won the heisman that year so um i don't think this will necessarily decide it but you know jane daniels comes into bryant Denny stadium and throws for four touchdowns and lsu wins then i think he's uh he's going to be the favorite certainly going into next week yeah and, and speaking of daniels so he's piloting an offense that leads the country in total yards and not only that, he is accounted for 70% running and passing of those yards. What is the game plan going to be, do you think, uh, of trying to contain this incredibly dynamic quarterback? Yeah, it's tough because you, you can't really just focus on one thing with LSU. I mean, their running game is very good as well. You know, not just Daniels. It's kind of their whole backfield as well. So um, it's a little bit tougher than – it's certainly a lot tougher than you know Tennessee. I think you could – you know, contain their running game. You don't have to worry a ton about Milton. Obviously, hurt them more in the first half, and didn't really have to worry about Max Johnson at A and M. Didn't really have to worry about Mississippi State. Ole Miss just didn't look right, um, even with some good players. So this is different. Like this is you got to be doing it on both ends. And you know, their Alabama's run defense has been great this year. It's been you know, if not the strength of the team, certainly one of the, the top strengths. And their pass rush has been very good. So it's a combination of that, um, and just try not to have. You know, that one coverage breakdown, that one mental mistake that hurt them a little bit last year. Um, that was, you know, part of the problem. And you got down to the goal line in those tight situations. And 
they've been spent harping on it ever since last November that they made mental mistakes and that's what allowed um, Jane Daniels to scramble and, and get into the end zone. So, you know, just obviously trying to pre- you know prevent that is, is the key. But again, I don't think you can just key on stopping one side of LSU. I think if they, they really bring it um, through the passing game, through the traditional running game, and for Daniels' ability to scramble. Mike, I don't know if you're going to be writing a piece on uh, sort of predicting how this game is going to go. And if you are, uh, we don't have to go down this path. Uh, and we can save your prediction. But uh, how do you think the game's going to go? Yeah, I haven't, uh, you know, deliberated too much on it. But I, you know, I think, it, it, again, it comes down to that main battle, you know, between the top defense and the top offense. And if Alabama can hold LSU to under 30, I would feel good. If you start getting into 35, 40, 45-point range for LSU, I don't know if Alabama's offense is going to be able to sustain that. Um, they just haven't been consistent enough running the ball. They haven't been consistent enough passing the ball You know, to make me feel good about them putting up 40, 45, even against a bad defense. So um, that's kind of the hinge point. And, again, I think Alabama's defense will hold, and I, I do think there's a, a decent chance that Alabama wins this game. Hey, who uh, who are the players today? Do we know? Uh, McKinstry, McKinstry, Latham, and um, somebody else. I forget. <laughs> All right, real quick, Proctor. I think he's improving, they're, and they're giving him some help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's gotten better. You know, he didn't have any subs. Like he he played the entire game against Tennessee. Purchased in the command, so that was a pretty good sign. And you know, there's not a ton of obvious mistakes on his end, so. Yeah, I think he could be the full-time left tackle going forward. For a long time. (laughs) Yeah. That man's a beast. All right, uh, get to your player interviews. We appreciate you taking time. Everybody can read you up on Bama 24-7. Thank you, Mike. You got it. Thank you. You bet. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. We got Haley Sansing with Union Home Mortgage. We appreciate her contributions to the show. More coming up on the Halloween edition of Big Noon Sports. Catch Christian and Corey Miller every weekday here on Tide 100.9. Tomorrow on the Miller's Edge, it is rush around the SEC. We'll rush around, take a look at all the other teams and see what's happening in the conference. Plus, we can down Alabama LSU. It's game day. It's a night game in T-Town. Are you ready? Well, we're going to get you ready. Ready or not, here we come. The Miller's Edge on the Tide 100.9. Tune in 11 to noon to hear Christian and Corey Miller break down everything from college to the pros on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 
205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny, cool and breezy this afternoon, the high 57. Tonight, a freeze warning in effect. The sky clear, the low 31. Then for tomorrow and Thursday, sunny both days. The high tomorrow 53. Warmer Thursday, the high 61. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 55 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. Begin to rise and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. And Justin's doing a nice gig on these Halloween songs. It is October 31st, 2023. Thanks for joining us on Matt and Lars, the Big Noon Sports, along with Justin Jones. He is uh, our producer extraordinaire. Tonight, the playoff rankings come out. Uh, Just jump right in there, Lars. I'm not so sure Georgia would be one. Well, um, okay, so let's just do a little refresher here. Um, that the, uh, the the key points that the committee members considering uh, uh, consider when deciding a team's ranking just beyond their on-field record, and that's one strength of schedule, uh, two conference championships. Uh, once they're decided, that doesn't factor into these. Uh, three head-to-head competition. Four results against common opponents and five results against ranked opponents. And, um, and also it's important to remember that these rankings really don't mean anything. I mean, this is just a, a made for TV, uh, spectacle. Radio. Because it's just, uh, it's, it's sort of a brilliant marketing ploy by the uh, powers that be uh, that run college football to keep college football in like in the national news on a Tuesday night when otherwise uh, they uh, college football wouldn't be talked about because it's just a snapshot in time it it, it really means absolutely nothing but uh, I think and and this is based on reading what the experts are saying. I think the number one team is going to be Ohio State. Uh, they picked up a good, uh, another good win this last week at Wisconsin. Um, and uh, the Buckeyes' uh, strength of schedule and quality of wins should put them past the number two team. And I think that's going to be Michigan. Um, and Michigan, they, they had the, the, the week off. Um, their schedule hasn't been great. But uh, they've absolutely been dominant against the teams that they have played. Um, and uh, but who knows uh, what is going to happen with this uh, because uh, with this team uh, as the NCA investigates the the sign stealing, and uh, that obviously is not a criteria that the uh, committee will use. However, uh, if there is, uh, if the hammer is going to be dropped by the NCAA, that will have an impact. And by the way, Ohio State, the best player in the country, I now, I don't think it's Brock Bowers. I think it's Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, he is just He's amazing. Fantastic. He is just amazing. He is, he is the best wide receiver I've seen in college football 
in a while. And uh, I dare I say this in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, that I think no, Marvin no. Harrison is better <laughs> than Devontae he's Smith. Taller. <laughs> he, he's taller. I think he's faster. I think he's bigger. He's better runner with the ball. You know, I, I, there's a lot. Uh, he, he's just a special, special player. Uh, okay, so I think it's going to be Ohio State 1, Michigan 2. And I think uh, um, Florida State will probably be 3. Um, and, uh, you know, last week, uh, Florida State, they did what they were supposed to do, and that was just absolutely destroy a weaker opponent, and that was Wake Forest. And uh, as of right now, uh, the Florida State has played the second toughest schedule of all the undefeated teams at the top of the of the rankings behind only Ohio State, and they still have Miami and Florida on their schedule. So if, if Florida State wins out, they're going to be in. Uh, so again, number one, Ohio State, two, Michigan, three, Florida State. I think four is going to be Washington. Um, uh, the Huskies, uh, you know, they, they had a really good win against Oregon. Um, but they have not had a double digit victory since, uh, beating Cal, uh, on September 23, uh, beat them 59-32. Um, but their, their finishing schedule is tough and it features three teams, uh, that will be, you know, in the top 20 or so. So again, I think if Washington wins out, they'll be in, uh, five and I won't go into depth into all of them now, but I think five will be Georgia, six Oregon, Seven Alabama, although you could flip Oregon and Alabama. Alabama could be as high as six, I think, but most likely seven. Oklahoma, eight. Uh, Texas, nine. And already Steve Sarkeesian, he is uh, campaigning to the committee. On Monday, he talked at length about how Texas has the best win of any team in the nation. Obviously, he's pointing to Texas going into Alabama or going into Tuscaloosa and defeating Alabama. Is he wrong? Probably not. Probably not. I think the Washington win over Oregon is, is yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I think more I thought about that state, the more I thought, you know what? As Alabama continues to win, he continues to be right. Yeah. And I think Alabama was what fifty three and one in Tuscaloosa in their last fifty four games. So not easy to win in, in Tuscaloosa, and, and and Texas did just that. Uh, but Texas has no margin for error, just like every other one loss team. I don't think you're, you you won't see a two loss team in the playoffs and then uh i think t- uh, 10 will be penn state 11 ole miss 12 lsu 13 notre dame 14 missouri wow, what a great a lot of research on this yeah great, great i have i have actually yeah i'm, I'm glad uh, i'm glad you uh, you brought it up because i i spent some time this morning looking at this uh i think 16 or 15 is going to be kansas 16 louisville and then in some order, you'll have Tennessee, Oregon State, Utah, UCLA, USC, Iowa, unbelievably, will probably get in there, even though they have the worst offense in the country. So bad that dad fired son. Uh, <laughs> Kirk Friends fired his son, Brian Friends, well, as the offensive coordinator. What's going to be like there at the old Friends house? Yeah. <laughs> and then I think uh, you'll have Tulane Air Force and 
Nebraska. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Oklahoma State. So that that is uh, that that's my rough list of uh, top twenty five uh, teams. And um, but again, it, it just uh, this is just uh, pure theater, and it's uh, it, it means nothing. Zero. Nada. No, it can change on uh, literally a win or a loss, but yeah. it's still fun to talk about. Oh, it is. It is. At it, it is. If you look at it and you move forward and you look at the other games, you see how your team can either fall or rise or whatever. But uh, it's it's interesting. And uh, we'll see 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN. Justin, is that what you tell me? I think that's it. Yeah, 6, yeah. six o'clock Central that's Time. What, make sure and dial in tonight at 6 o'clock. Also tonight, Texas and Arizona go at it again. Texas defeated Arizona in the desert, 3-1. to one. But Max Scherzer was bummed up early. That's not good news for the Rangers. But game threes in all of sports are pivotal, especially in baseball, because the win by Texas, that guaranteed they can go home. You know, even if Arizona will win the next two games and take a 3-2 series lead, game six is going to play, be played in Arlington. So that was a big win for Texas. Um, I really still continue to think that they're going to win this all. But, Lars, I am also, you know, I'm a baseball fanatic. But I'm also smart enough to know that this is probably the least watched and cared about World Series in a very, very long time. Yeah, um, certainly no one on the East Coast is watching it. Um, you might be the only person in Alabama watching it. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was pretty cool when George Bush, uh, former President Bush, threw out the first pitch um, in game one and just, uh, you know, reminded all of us of uh, him throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium uh, in the days after 9-11 and, and uh, it, I thought it was interesting how uh, Derek Jeter interviewed President Bush uh, before game one and before he went out there. And uh, those two, uh, they were together uh, before uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the 9-11 pitch, even though it wasn't on 9-11. So there is a, uh, a practice, there's a pitching mound beneath Yankee Stadium and the president was warming up and uh Derek Jeter, you know, the captain, he went down there and uh he was just like, Hey pres hey, Mr. President and he talked a little bit and he said, Better throw a strike. Better throw a strike. <laughs> Otherwise you'll get booed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and President Bush, you know, he was just like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. And uh it was just so great to see him get out there and absolutely just rifle a, a strike right down the middle of the plate from the mound, right? Because we talked about Stephen A. Smith going out to Yankee Stadium and and uh and throwing out the first pitch and remember he bounced it about what a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, probably the greatest moment of uh, President Bush's uh, two terms 
was when he got on top of the rubble at at, uh, at the side of the the trade center, the towers, the fallen towers, and and had the the bullhorn and, and just said, you know, uh, they're all going to hear from us pretty soon. Uh, and when he was responding to a, a first responder, you know, someone who had been down there for a long time searching for, uh, you know, any hope of finding uh, human life. But maybe the second best moment, just symbolically, was that Yankee Stadium pitch. Would, cool. you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just, you know, going off the top of my head, uh, that's huge. But, the, you know, there are others. Um uh, I'm not sure how you would rank them, but that would be way up there. You know, Bushes are no stranger to baseball. Um, they were part owners for a while for Texas, were they not? And yeah. And, um, you know, George's dad, Herbert, uh, he played for Yale. Yeah, he played at Yale. He was quite good. Yeah. Yep. He's a very, very good glove man. I don't think he was real good with the stick, but... Um, they love baseball. There's no question about it. And maybe, maybe this is the year Texas wins the World Series, which, by the way, would be their first. Real uh, quick, who do you think? There. Who do you think was our most athletic president? Probably Gerald Ford. Isn't that funny? The guy who was characterized or caricatured yeah. as as tripping all the time was a uh, what an All American center at Michigan. Yeah. Oh, highly decorated. And, uh, I, Barack, I can tell you who, Barack Obama tell you who wasn't. Who's that? James Pope. <laughs> Barack Obama could play some ball, too. He still can. Yeah, but uh, then I don't think he was very skilled in other sports as well. But he had a jumper. There's no question. All right. Uh, first hour is in the tank. Let's go to hour number two on Big Noon Sports. Mitch Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. 
Kevin Wyatt. NFL trade deadline is today at 4 o'clock Eastern time. We have some breaking news. A trade going down in the NFL. The NFL Network reporting Cardinals trading quarterback Josh Dobbs to the Vikings. And this comes after Minnesota lost Kirk Cousins for the season with a torn Achilles. Another trade that went down. Multiple outlets and FSR's Jay Glazer saying the commanders trading defensive end Montez Sweat to the Bears in exchange for a 2024 second round pick. And the big trade, though, coming in the NBA last night, the 76ers sending James Harden to the Clippers along with P.J. Tucker and Philip Petrusev in exchange for Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, K.J. Martin, an unprotected 2028 first round pick, two second round picks, and a pick swap, plus an additional first round pick from a third team. That'll be the Oklahoma City Thunder who agreed to a pick swap with the Clippers, so they'll send a 2026 protected first rounder to Philadelphia. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. Like a Mr. Chicken in the city. It looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one-eyed, one-horn flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horn flying purple people eater. A one-eyed, one-horn flying purple people eater. Oh, sure looks strange to me. It is Halloween, October 31st, which, by the way, is Nick Saban's birthday. So, uh, happy birthday to Coach Saban. A lot of things going on in the world of sports. We talked extensively in the first hour about Dabo Sweeney's response to Tyler from Spartanburg. The one big quote to take away from there, and I think he just knocked it out of the park, was he said, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. And that is not just true in Clemson, in my opinion. Power rankings are out tonight. Lars thinks Ohio State. I think you might be right because of uh, their schedule has been just a little bit tougher than Michigan, all, although Michigan hasn't been tested all year. Speaking of Michigan, story out today as the sign-stealing saga continues that um, Mr. Connor Stallions was seen on the sidelines the CMU game, the Central Michigan game. So more and more is coming out that uh, they were stealing signs or attempting to and, and using electronic devices to do so, and that is an absolute no-no. But uh, meanwhile, uh, your man there, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, was asked if the coach was uh, supposed to be responsible and all-knowing when it comes to his football team, and boy, he danced around that like Patrick Swayze. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Awful. Um, but, he, but he did. My wife's laughing in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, Aaron. Yeah. yeah, so there was a report out there that uh, the University of Michigan had, rescind, had rescinded a contract extension offer to uh, Jim Harbaugh and Harbaugh said yesterday that that report is not accurate. And uh, as of right now, uh, Harbaugh's in the second year of a five-year deal with the Wolverines. And um, the school hoped to have an extension done. But uh, apparently the process was put on hold due to the NCA investigation of the um, of the you know the sign stealing the cheating whatever however you want to you want to phrase it and it was the Wall Street Journal that reported on Sunday night that Michigan had rescinded its offer 
to Harbaugh, but then Harbaugh again, when he was asked about that report, uh, he said, I wouldn't say that's accurate. And so um, a, a source uh, did tell uh, ESPN that Harbaugh was instructed not to sign the contract offer yet. So who knows? I, it, it seems pretty clear, though, that um, that Harbaugh's future is cloudy at, at, at Michigan. And it all sort of depends on 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 this uh, sign stealing investigation. Um, and uh, as we learned with Watergate, it's often the cover up that is more <laughs> more damaging than the actual act of uh, of defiance of uh, breaking rules than it, of itself. And in Michigan, uh, they were idle last week. Um, and uh, they're at home against Purdue this week. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll just see. Uh, uh, through it all, Harbaugh's denied any knowledge of uh, of, of, uh, of the alleged cheating. Um, and uh, he, that's what he said earlier, uh, right after the allegations were made public. But yesterday he uh, he, he pivoted a little bit. And said that he wasn't able to discuss the allegations in any more detail while the NCAA investigation is ongoing. He should have said that to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And um, he said that he, he didn't know the time frame uh, in which the NCAA uh, is going to, you know, try to wrap this investigation up. And uh, but, you know, as of right now, they have not received an official notice of allegations from the NCAA. And um, we'll just, uh, again, see, see how it plays out. But um, given the fact that uh, it certainly appears that the sign stealing was going on this year, I, you would think that there would be a sense of urgency for the NCAA to act. And now huh? I know, tra- I know, tra- yeah, I, know, I know traditionally Surely. that they, uh, they, they move at a glacial pace, right? <laughs> they move so slow, but they should feel that, uh, that, that, this thing has got, it, it can't be that complicated to unravel what went down here, right? And uh, there's just been so much evidence just on social media alone um, of, uh, of, of of what what appeared to be violations and uh, appear that uh, that Michigan was cheating. That um, you would think uh, something would come down where uh, perhaps Michigan would be ineligible to play in the Big Ten championship game. Perhaps they uh, would be ineligible to uh, then, uh, if not that, be ineligible for postseason play. Uh, who knows? I mean, I know that's a very stiff punishment, but you look at Michigan and, and they are, they like, just by the eye test, they appear to be the best team in the country this year. Now, as we talked about in the first hour, their schedule has not been incredibly challenging. However, um, 
maybe that's because they knew what plays the opponents were running. Uh, and uh, and Shouldn't certainly, you think your team can win without doing that? Yes, I must live in a panacea. But here's the deal: um, this will drag on, and mainly because that's just the mo of the NCAA. But also because all of the people that have been finger-pointed in this have lawyered up. So they're not going to say anything. So they're not likely to get the evidence here, uh, pro or con, until way after the season. So after the season, if you don't eliminate them from the playoffs, do you take away their championship? Or do you go ahead and take, you know, take their chance at making the playoffs away? Because, Lars, they're not going to get enough evidence to make a sound decision, or at least they will say, for another, I would think, six months to it. Yeah, and that's, uh, you raise a really good point. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I don't think the NCA does not have the power of subpoena. They can't force anybody uh, to come and talk. Uh, so, yeah, if they lawyer up, then uh, it, it becomes an incredibly more complicated investigation and uh and if you're if you are being investigated you should do exactly that make it as as difficult as you can for um investigators to uh get you in a situation where you're under oath and you have to tell the truth and if you don't there's a threat of uh you know uh potential jail time so i and i know in the yeah the the lawyers at the nca do not have the power the subpoena power it would have to uh come from uh obviously a different agency so there are a lot well, of michigan lawyers that would run to the defense of those guys though don't you think they're standing yes. in line yes yeah absolutely absolutely so it'll be interesting be interesting to see how it plays out um frankly i just I, I i i'm uh I'm I'm becoming a, a Penn State fan. I'm a Ohio State fan because I do not want Michigan. And then, of course, I'll be a Nebraska fan when Nebraska gets to the Big Big Ten Championship game. And next year or this yeah, year? This year. This we year. we talked about it yesterday. Nebraska has a clear path to the Big Ten Championship game. Unbelievably. I still want Nebraska and Auburn to play in the Birmingham. <laughs> I know you do. That would just be <laughs> unbelievable. So anyway, all right. Uh, Big Noon Sports continues, and uh, hey, let, why don't we take some calls? Especially like to hear some people voice their opinion about Dabo Sweeney's comments last night on Tiger Talks, Tiger Calls, I should say. So uh, call us up two zero five three four two. 9904. Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union All Mortgage. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny, cool and breezy this afternoon, the high 57. Tonight, a freeze warning in effect. The sky clear, the low 31. And for tomorrow and Thursday, sunny both days, the high tomorrow 53. Warmer Thursday, the high 61. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 57 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Somebody's watching me And I'm no proud 
October 31st. All right. Uh, welcome back into the show. If you'd like to join us via the phone, please do so. 205-342-9904. Just looking across some of the things that uh, are maybe not just headlines, but a little below the fold, but uh, just a quick story. Colorado played L- UCLA. UCLA won this past weekend. But Buffalo players are saying that they had jewelry stolen out, stolen out of their locker room. So unfortunately, not the first time we've heard about this. But um, I hate it, and that that's just the story. I don't know if it deserves comment or not. Probably ought to talk more about Alabama and LSU. Let's go to that. Um, Lars, have you had any uh, getting closer to midweek thoughts on this game? Uh, more thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, as we uh, talked about with Mike Rodak uh, a little bit earlier, that um, the most vulnerable part of the entire LSU team, both offense and defense, is that secondary. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries. Um, they're going to be playing a safety over at corner. Uh, they're going to have uh, three corners that will be uh, or two corners that will be rotating in that are going to be true freshmen. And so uh, if there is a, a, a place that can be exploited, right, a position group that can be exploited, I think it's on that back end of the LSU defense. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's going to be hard to run the ball. Because like every other team that Alabama has faced, they are the LSU defense is they're, they're going to put everybody up the line of scrimmage and they're going to make Jalen beat him, uh, beat them with his arm. And um, it's going to come down to uh, the receivers creating separation and uh, and Jalen making really smart decisions. Um and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. By the way, last night, Jamar Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs for the Detroit Lions, former Alabama running back, holy cow, he was the best player on the field of Monday Night Football. Uh, just had, uh, it was just absolutely spectacular against the Raiders. And, and you, you know, it's like you watch all these games, Matt, these NFL games. And at all the key positions, oh, Alabama guy, Alabama guy, Alabama guy. And, uh, you know, you got, uh, you got Jamison Williams, who, uh, he had a drop last night, but he's going to be really good for, uh, the Lions once he, you know, he's had some health issues and then he was suspended. Um, and, and now they have Gibbs and on the other side of the field, Oh, they have the guy who uh, led the league last year in rushing, in Josh Jacobs. You know, it, it, it really is. It's just it's just amazing. Every single game, the key players, especially at the skill positions of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, Alabama guys, especially the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, with uh, you know pick. Picking up Julio Jones, it's incredible. And how about yeah. them Lions? Yeah, um, yeah, they, uh, they they looked really good last night. And um, Jared Goff uh, is uh, he's he's having the best year of his career. And I think the Lions are 
poised to make a deep run and I know they got they got slaughtered the the week before but um it was a good bounce back for them but anyway yes so going back I'm sorry I'm just sort of uh, uh hopscotching uh intellectually all over the place here but um how about you when you look at this Alabama LSU matchup what what, what do you think is uh, the most vulnerable part of uh, of this LSU team I think it's a secondary. Real quick, though, I went ahead and looked up last night's stats for Jameer Gibbs. 26 carries, 152 yards, and a touchdown. Pardon me. Then he also had five catches, 37 for, um, totals. uh, It doesn't seem to give the total on that. So, but, um. Yeah, I mean, almost 200 yards. uh, 37 yards through the air. Yeah, 30, yeah, so, you know, what, 175 or so total yards from scrimmage. And, and I know a lot of Lions fans were wondering, look, we drafted this guy. I think this is off the top of my head. I think 13 overall. And, uh, and he was not getting many carries. It was, uh, David Montgomery, a running back they signed in free agency. And, uh, you know, fans are just scratching their head. Well, what, why, you, you, you take a running back this early, why don't you put him in the game? Well, Montgomery gets hurt and you put Gibbs in and wow, did he respond? And, uh, he absolutely iced the game late. Seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was getting seven, eight, nine, ten yards. And, uh, and then he broke one and, and then, um, he just saw the speed. I mean, uh, he's just, uh, just such a dynamic player. And he also was one of these guys at Alabama who I thought was actually going to be a better pro than college player just because of it. I think his skill set is more suited to the NFL game than the college game. Yeah, he plays and, a lot more third downs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing about him, uh, is that he, he is, uh, he can be an every down back, just like Jacobs. They, they, they're actually, they're very similar players. Um, I think Jacobs and, and, uh, and, and Gibbs, but, uh, yeah, just pretty cool. Pretty cool to see, you know, of that, that, uh, and I know Gibbs is only, in Tuscaloosa for, for one year after, uh, entering the transfer portal and coming from, uh, Georgia Tech. But yeah, uh, he's a, he's a fun player. And, uh, I think the Lions really, really have something with him because with, with Jared Goff, he's not a guy that you want to, uh, just put in shotgun and, and have him slinging the ball all over the field. You want him to be more of a game manager um, and, and get the play action to work, be under center. And the way to get that to work is you get the running game going. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a tale as old as football itself. If you have the running game going, it opens up the passing game, especially the play action. And he was able to hit some shots down the field because Gibbs was having so much success against that Raider defense. Also, I think you heard this at the top of the hour in our Fox News update, but um, in the NFL, Josh Hobbs has uh, been acquired to uh, go to Minnesota, and I'm assuming to take over the starting slot for the injured Cousins. So that is happening as well. I, I'm a little overwhelmed by that particular trade. 
Yeah, I mean, hey, Josh Dobbs, he he's played pretty well this year in um, in filling in for Kyler Murray, who uh, it looks like he's going to be good to go this coming week in um, in in in, in um, coming off that knee injury from last year. Um, and uh, and so that made Dobbs somewhat expendable. And if you can get some draft capital for him, uh, you do it. Because, um, again, Dobbs, he played pretty well in filling in for him. I thought Minnesota would maybe go after a bit of a higher level quarterback. Um, there was a lot of talk about Jameis Winston, perhaps, that yeah. they were that they were targeting. Um, because uh, that that NFC Central or, or NFC North, I guess it's called now, um, is uh, is very much up for, up for grabs. And and uh, even though Minnesota started the year so slowly, uh, they've won a few games in a row, and, and they're they're sort of back in the mix and in the thick of everything. Um, Got to feel horrible for. Kirk Cousins, as we discussed yesterday, you know, he's in a contract year. Didn't look like they were, that Minnesota was going to re-sign him anyway, but his season is done and and now he he won't be available unless he pulls an Aaron Rodgers uh, (laughs) in his rehab from Achilles. Look, and I still don't think we're going to see Aaron Rodgers this year. I think that's a bunch of uh, hooey. Uh, very technical scientific term there, Matt. Hooey. Um, but I don't think, perfect, I don't think, especially on Halloween. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see, uh, I don't think we're going to see Aaron Rodgers this year at, at, at all. And, you know, I, I, I don't think his career is over, but I would just be shocked if, uh, if he comes back and plays in the regular season because, just how things are shaking out in in the uh, AFC East, um, the Jets for them to make it into the playoffs, they're they're going to have to be winning games in December. And I don't think we've ever seen anyone come back from an Achilles in Week One and play in Week Fifteen or so. I mean that 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 would just be. Uh, absolutely crazy, but you know, mind over matter, I guess, when it comes to that for uh, our buddy Aaron Rodgers. Oh, he was thrown on the sideline, and he looked good, but you know, that's that is in no way to predict whether or not he can come back from such a serious interview. So, anyway. All right, back to what you're talking about with Alabama LSU. You're asking me anything that I had to observe. You're, you're talking about, and you broke it down very, very well. And in fact, you you kind of gave me a little lift there with the description of what has happened to their secondary. Which, I mean, they're they're going deep into the chart. So uh, I, I think that uh, given a good day, Milrow can certainly take advantage of that. But when it just comes down. To the bottom line, in my opinion, is somebody's got to out physical the other team. I think Alabama is more capable of that. Um, obviously, LSU's offensive line has been really, really good at giving Daniels, um, you know, time to throw. And they've got a great, uh, God, they've got a great core of wide receivers. So 
But I, I think getting pressure on him, of course, sometimes when you press him, you force him out of the pocket, and next thing you know, he's 30 yards down the field. But I think you have to pressure with ease, so to speak. Alabama's linebackers can cover, and I, I see that. But Alabama, the, the best chance they have to win this game is to keep it away from Daniels. And, Lars, that's just a lineup between that 300-plus pound per player. Three of Alabama's offensive linemen are over 350. So, uh, and LSU's defense is uh, not good against the pass or the run. So, I would think that Alabama uh, take their first possession and try and run it right at them. And then just when you think you got them running and on their heels, then you go play action and you hit Burton for about a 42-yarder. That would be the best possible start for Alabama this Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, will physical. this, you gotta out physical yes. them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so will this be the game where the offensive line, you know, puts together four good quarters of, uh, of, of run blocking? Cause we just, we haven't seen that this year. And we haven't really seen Alabama as a team put together four good quarters. Now, the last two quarters we saw against Tennessee were the best two of the year. Now, will there be carryover into uh, into this game? I, I certainly think there can be, and um, and that would be just absolutely the best <laughs> the best medicine for I, I think the, for the passing game, frankly. Because if they, they're gonna crowd the line of scrimmage and, uh, they're gonna send linebackers and, uh, on, on run blitzes and they're gonna do everything they can to make, uh, Alabama one dimensional and make Jalen Milrow the guy who has to, uh, has to, uh, you know, make the plays, has to hit those 10 yard outs that he has really struggled to hit. And, um, you know, Brian Kelly is 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 no uh, no slouch of a head coach. You know, we we made fun of him when he first came into the SEC with the dancing around with the yeah that 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 was really cr- the the creepy videos. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. Fake he, should, he should go as Patrick Swayze as uh, for Halloween tonight. But, uh, no, the creepy videos, the, uh, feigned southern accent and all that, uh, nonsense. You put that aside, the dude can coach. The dude can coach. And, uh, it'll be a pretty fascinating sort of chess matchup between Saban and Brian Kelly on Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. Hey, let's take a break. And when we get back, we'll continue again. Go ahead. Give them a shout. Your thoughts on Alabama LSU, 205-342-9904. This is Big Nine Sports. Built to win. Touchdown, Alabama. Built for championships. Throws and intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide take on LSU at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Our coverage begins at 3.30 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner too. 
Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. And then the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said that... Google crazy Halloween songs is that's how there's nobody plays that song anymore. I'm probably the only one that knows anything about it. Um, and I just barely know a couple of the lyrics that they play from um, Alvin and Theodore. But anyway, where did you get all these songs? Well, I've, I've been digging down in the depths of my brain for variety of Halloween songs because I didn't want to play anything twice. And uh, I, I'm right there with you, Alvin and the Chipmunks. That's where I've heard this song before. And I have to thank Noah, though, because Noah had previously looked up a lot of this stuff. So I'm kind of just scrolling through and picking out the ones I like. Well, must ask, uh, we're not in studio today. Is, is this a day where you're allowed to dress up? And are you? I'm sure I could dress up probably any day. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody would. At a radio it. station, nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I'm not dressed up today. I probably should have. I don't know. Maybe I should have went as the Michigan uh, camera people. But I've seen that as a popular costume. Yeah. Who are you? Oh, I'm Connor Stallion. Um. Anyway, um, will you? do that at all halloween will you have trick-or-treaters coming by your house tonight my family lives out in the in the woods per se so i hope not that'd probably be more scary than anything if uh (laughs) you by having a trick-or-treater that would scare you yeah yeah um but my family my younger siblings have done a lot of trunk or treats this week um and I've just been, you know, picking off the top layer. They got to pay the tax, you know, the older brother tax with the candy. So, <laughs> what? What is okay? I'm gonna really sound like I don't know anything. That's nothing unusual. What is trunk or treat? Is that when you go to somebody's house and they all grab a handful out of the trunk? <laughs> yeah, like, you, like oh no, I've seen it. They all line up their cars. Yeah, yes. a lot. That just doesn't sound right. Well, that's what we did when, you know, my kids were in preschool and in daycare. You do trunk or treat. 
And uh, my favorite was when uh, I got a, a Winnie the Pooh outfit for Lincoln. <laughs> I still have pictures of it. It's, and he, he hates it when I bring those uh, pictures out. But, um, yeah, we did we did trunk or treat at, at, at Primrose in uh, Liberty Park. So what did you – describe this to me. I saw one picture, and it literally had quite a few vehicles lined up side by side by side almost like they were in a parking lot and so that they were like two feet apart and the kids wear their costumes and walk down and just get handed candy out of the trunk is that the base is that the premise of this deal yeah that's basically it um it's so no chance at egg can you go soap the windows of the car (laughs) i guess you you roll their car typically though i've seen it done at churches so they'll have like games and prizes and stuff for the kids as well as all the candy in the trunks um but i i grew up in subdivisions and neighborhoods so my halloween experience as a kid was always trick-or-treating filling up a pillowcase and uh getting yelled at for staying out too late yeah but you had to go to that one more door you know or that one more circle that that uh one more cul-de-sac so um you know you could warrant that back in the day of course, that was back in the day. You just turned the kids loose. I don't know if you could really do that as much as you could back in the day. And therefore, I guess that's why you get the trunk or treats. And I, I we've been hearing about that for even when since I was a young adult. Uh, they would do it at churches more than anything. Uh, not necessarily the trunk or treat, but they would do some form of that. So it would be a 100% control group. So anyway. So, okay, guys, here's a question for you. What is the best Halloween themed movie? Your favorite. And let's exclude the Halloween franchise, right? The Halloween movies. Uh, they, and they've been box office hits for a long time. Started in 1978. Um, and that's about, you know, in the, the original Halloween, a young boy named Michael Myers, uh, you know, goes uh, goes crazy. Is that the guy on his... with the hockey mask. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know about uh, that much. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it, it gets pretty graphic. But um, there are other, you know, iconic slasher films. Uh, there's Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth. But I like the more fam- family friendly. Like I like uh, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's my favorite. Oh. Do you guys have a, Do you guys have a favorite Beetlejuice? Night Before Christmas. Well, people love Beetlejuice, and I just I, I never quite figured it out. Justin probably hadn't even heard of it. No, I know what Beetlejuice is. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the the movie at least. Uh, very young Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin and um, oh guy, who's the guy? Michael Keaton was a guy that ended up with a little head and and i buried my way through that but i am um if people want to dress up they want to have halloween it's all about the kids i love that part of it but i haven't seen a horror film i've seen one horror film to its end in my life and that was the first texas chainsaw massacre and that was because i kind of had to so uh, I couldn't. I don't even know the names of these movies. I know there's like a Freddy Krueger that hangs around in some of them, and then there's uh, Jason. But um, I really don't know. I have not seen a Halloween movie. Yeah. Am I a ba Halloween bug? 
<laughs> Lars, you know, yeah. I was thinking, is the what, what's the movie with Jack Skellington, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas or something, right? Is that a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie to you? Uh, the if you Nightmare? Even know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with that uh, that particular ne- Never mind. Movie. I'll say I, I'm infamously um, not a scary movie person, so I'm with you on the Charlie Brown, Lars, and yeah. me growing up, a lot of the Disney they did, uh, Disney originals, like a Halloween Town or stuff like that, that was always my favorite. I got a yeah. rock. <laughs> Remember Charlie Brown? <laughs> They'd all compare what they got in their bags and eat <laughs> They'd all have candy and poor Charlie Brown just, I got a rock. <laughs> I guess y'all remember that part of the cartoon, but uh, poor Charlie Brown and uh, the Great Pumpkin—that was uh, that was a good one. I'd nail it on there, Lars. So, what do, uh, what do, did you do get, you, Nick Saban? Go ahead. Excuse me. Uh, do, do you guys want to know the history of Halloween? That, or that's just, it, it's just it, 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 we could do a deep dive into the history of Halloween, but we don't need to do that. Why? Um, we got a couple of minutes. <laughs> what would you get, Nick Saban, for his birthday? Hmm. What would you get the man who has everything? That's uh, a good. That's a good question. Well, he said he'd he'd like to have a win over LSU. That that'd be a nice birthday present. Anyway, since we're just kind of yakking it up here, I did something last night I rarely do because um, I really just wanted to see Joaquin Phoenix. But Joker came on last night. I thought, am I really going to commit to this movie at nine o'clock at night? Well, I did. Oh, that, that, that movie's disturbing. That is disturbing. As it is so it. disturbing. Yes. Joaquin Phoenix is such a great actor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I remember him when he was playing Johnny Cash. He did an unbelievable job. He was really good. He sang all that, the – he sang everything in that too. He's, he's really talented, and I love the fact that he picks his roles. He's very selective. Yeah, um, that but, one was uh, good, and – I woke up this morning thinking about it, and now I'm not really sure I should have watched that movie or not. But uh, Speaking uh, of Joaquin Phoenix, he's got a, I, I assume, is going to be a really good movie on Napoleon coming out that I've seen trailers for. Really? I I wouldn't have pictured that. I would have pictured Danny DeVito. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know what, Matt? We didn't talk about this, but uh, the, the death of Matthew Perry really hit me hard. Uh, I never, obviously never, never met the man, but, uh, you know, for people my age, uh, it's like we grew up with him. And, uh, you know, on Friends, it was like he was our friend. And, uh, what made him, I think, so eminently likable was the fact that he had these faults. And that he wasn't this, uh, you know, um, uh, like he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Was, no, no, no. And he did, and he never presented like this Instagram perfect life. Nope. And he owned up to his faults, and he and he, and he talked about them, and he advocated for you know. <laughs> For, for people who were struggling and, and, uh, just for, for him to lose his life at age 53, 
it's extremely tragic and disturbing and uh it, it uh it's one of these rare Hollywood deaths that for some reason just absolutely uh was a gut punch to me. And many others. If you look on social media, uh, many people really, really like him. All right, um let's take a break. We'll be back with more Big Dune Sports. Ah, Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Mostly sunny, cool and breezy this afternoon, the high 57. Tonight, a freeze warning in effect. The sky clear, the low 31. And for tomorrow and Thursday, sunny both days, the high tomorrow 53. Warmer Thursday, the high 61. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 58 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. into big noon sports happy 72nd birthday to nick saban justin uh did you think nick saban when you first arrived at alabama did you think he'd still be coaching at the age of 72 i don't know i don't know if i've ever thought about it to me i don't think of uh it's weird to say but i i look at and think of nick saban like he never ages it's just, you know, it's just Nick Saban. That's my head coach all the time. It's never going to change. So the, the day that uh, that does change, I'm in for a harsh reality. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of people are. And, you know, the the, the fact that uh, he came to Tuscaloosa in 2007, has won six national championships, uh, many, many SEC championships, uh, his name is on, uh, you know, local landmarks everywhere. Uh, you have the, of course, the, the statue 
you have the Saban Center, uh, you have the work that he and Miss Terry have done with uh, the Nick's Kids Foundation, with Habitat for Humanity, um, with uh, um, a, uh, a, a, a playground at uh, Alberta School of uh, Performing Arts. I mean, you have a, the, the Student Center, the uh, uh, at uh, it's called uh, the uh, the Saban Catholic Student Center at uh, St. Francis on uh, on the UA campus, and uh, it, his his legacy is just so much more than simply being a football coach. But uh, but before I get into what I think his sort of most impactful. Uh, enduring legacy will be again away from coaching football. Uh, what, what is it for you, Justin? Uh, when, when you think of everything that Coach Saban has done for the community of Tuscaloosa, what, what, what sticks out to you? I, I definitely think of. Um, I don't know. I, I keep going back to the moment in 2011 during the uh, tornadoes. I think what he did for the community then is worth, you know, a lifetime of service to the community. But he keeps on giving, and especially his uh, um, charity, the Knicks Kids. I think that's very important to the city and to the youth that are um, in Alabama, in West Alabama. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was going to go to... April twenty uh, April twenty eighth, uh, two thousand eleven, the the day after the tornado, and you know I, I wrote about it in a cover story in SI, and then I uh, wrote a book on on not just that day, not just the the tornadoes, and uh, but sort of everything that followed, called the storm and the tide, and um, you know on 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 the morning after April twenty eighth. Uh, at, at daybreak, uh, Nick drove from his house to the athletic facility or to the Malmore, uh, and, um, met Thad Turnipseed and, uh, the spring game, I believe had just been, I don't know, four days earlier. And so they had a bunch of leftover water and, and Gatorade and they put that in the back of, uh, Thad's truck. And uh, immediately, you know, uh, they decided to go right into the hardest hit areas. And uh, and to get in there, they had to go past the uh, National Guard. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and Thad, who I, I think his title at the time was maybe director of operations, but really he, his unofficial title was, uh, whatever Nick needs, uh, Thad does. And, uh, he ended up going to Clemson and really helping, uh, Dabo Sweeney build Clemson into a national power because Thad had a front row seat to what Nick Saban had done and what he had constructed in Tuscaloosa. But um, uh, get to the they get, they get to I think it was just like almost like the railroad tracks um, right by the uh, uh, the football field and and, uh, and or by the practice field and uh, National Guard stops them and then uh, you know Nick rolls down his window and they see it's Nick Saban and you know he gets waved through right away. And then, you know, for the next, uh, four, five, six, seven hours, 
Um, they just, uh, they went again to the hardest hit areas, uh, handing out waters to first responders, uh, and also, uh, people who had just literally lost everything, uh, homes, cars, and in some of the most uh, tragic instances, lost, uh, kids, family members. And, um, in that, say, about 12 hour period, uh, of the, on the day after, I know for a fact that Nick Saban embraced more people than he had in the entirety of his life. And, uh, I think it was that night that, uh, he went and spoke at the, uh, at the student center, uh, just a extemporaneous speech. Uh, and uh, assuring everyone, uh, especially the students who were, uh, frightened and, and, and in a lot of cases, it was these kids first, uh, time ever dealing with, uh, uh, losing a, uh, contemporary and uh, a lot of people just, uh, you know, in shock. And he offered very reassuring words and, and, uh, in, in this, uh, amazing speech, uh, he, uh, talked about the example of Jesus Christ and, uh, in, but in that day and in the days following, I think Nick became not a football coach anymore. He was a community leader. And I think that that rooted he and Miss Terry in Tuscaloosa in a way that they had never been rooted in a city before. And, uh, you know, uh, pre, uh, pre tornado, Nick Saban was known as this mercenary head coach that would hopscotch from job to job, job, right? He would build up a program, get it to winning and then move on to the next challenge. Well, what he did, uh, I think with the, with the winds of, uh, of September, excuse me, of October, gosh, of April 27, 2011 did, the winds, uh, uprooted so much, but they rooted the Sabins in Tuscaloosa in a way that, uh, they never could have imagined. And, uh, and again, it's, that's really when he became so much more than a head coach. So, that I think is uh, going to ultimately, at least in my mind, uh, that's going to be the legacy of Nick Saban. All right, I know we got to get out of here. Um, Justin, have a great Halloween. Everyone have fun tonight, and everybody be safe tonight. We'll see you in 22 hours. Texting and rolls, you and a recurring